Welcome to the Insecurity Project Podcast. Most people think the best you can do with insecurity is mask it, manage it, or medicate. I'm convinced this is a problem that can be solved for good, and that's what this show is all about. Join me for weekly 10-minute Tuesday episodes, live coaching demonstrations, and world-class interviews on the subject of overcoming insecurity. Now on to today's show. Well, hello, folks. You're with Jamin on the Insecurity Project. I have the privilege today of interviewing my friend Johnny Paulick. Uh, Johnny and I are only friends uh, recently, but when I first got introduced to Johnny through a mutual friend, instantly I found a kindred soul. Uh, he's the guy who's doing some amazing work in the world and super interested to interview him and to share his story on the show today. So Johnny's the founder and CEO of the international branding and marketing firm Mantra Media and the co-founder of the Japanese luxury retail brand, brand Atelier Japan. Uh, he's currently the ambassador for Investors in Community, a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and Commerce, Commerce, a guest chair for the Intelligence Forums and a member of Deloitte's Climate Action Coalition. Uh, that's a pretty extraordinary bio right there. Uh, Johnny, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Jamin. It's a, it's a pleasure and a privilege. Uh, I'm going to start, as I start with all of my guests, back to where it began for you. I'm, I'm fascinated by your upbringing and, and particularly the impact your parents had on you and, and the role they played early on in, in shaping your self-esteem and, and your belief about yourself. Tell us what it was like growing up in your home. So um, so I grew up in a council estate in the, in the Midlands in the 80s, which was uh, not fun, particularly where we were. Um, everybody we were surrounded uh, by were, you know, uh, were doing things that that weren't productive for society. So there was lots of drugs, there was lots of violence, there was uh, lots of um, not very enjoyable things happening uh, around me uh, when I was a child. Um, but there is one, there is one thing that stood out particularly. Well, there's a few things that stood out particularly well. Uh, which helped me build my self-esteem, resilience, and understanding my values as well. Um, The first instance, I must have been about three or four years old. I was really, really young. And I was in Tesco's, and uh, of all places. And my my mum was walking with me, and I was was walking really early. I could do lots of things uh, really early as a baby. And... um, uh, uh, one of my some my mum knew said, "Oh, so how's how's little Johnny doing then?" And uh, my mum straight away said, "Well, ask him." And this woman was like taken aback by this, and, and my mum was like, "He can speak for himself." <laughs> and and it was that thing. And my mum always treated me as as an adult, essentially. You know, you've got an opinion; it's valued. Um, so even though we grew up in a place that was, you know, I, every day I walked outside the front, literally the front of the house, I had to make sure that I wasn't going to walk on syringes. Uh, some days I couldn't go to school because there was a random Rottweiler, you know, just in front of our front garden and nobody knew, knew who, who it was owned by. You know, there was random dogs everywhere that would chase you. I mean, it was pretty dire. Um, I described some of the situations uh, to people now. I mean, I remember there was a uh, some kids on the council estate had a water fight 
and uh, one of the kids filled his uh, water gun with boiling water from the kettle. You know, it was it was, yeah. There was a lack of education. There was a lack of support. There was so. My mum giving me that voice, um, and I think me noticing actually maybe this isn't the way that people should live. You shouldn't live in fear. That I mean, I, I have scars all over my knuckles from, and it's weird to think that now in the position that I'm in now. But growing up was a literal fight, um, and it was because of where we where we were brought up. So, so yeah. The, a sense of injustice, a sense of wanting to fight for justice, you know, a sense that no one is going to help you. You know, um, my mum always gave me a lot of love, but um, it there was this thing of you've got to go out there and get it because no one is going to help you. Wow. Uh, I mean, so you were in, a, in an environment where everyone had that same experience, um, but then clearly not everyone took that experience the way that you've taken it and, and leveraged it to create strength and resilience. So I'm fascinated by um, how you did that and, and whether that was always natural or whether there were times where you thought it was, was impossible to actually better yourself or better the world. Um, whether there are times where you wondered whether you had what it took, whether you were good enough to break free from that world and to create a better world around you. Um, can you tell us a bit about how it was that you kind of got from there to here? So I think one of the – I remember one um, summer, um, uh, summer holidays, and uh, I had an encyclopedia. And for some reason, I decided I was going to do this huge project over that summer where I would learn everything about uh, certain things in this encyclopedia and rewrote all the things that I was learning from this encyclopedia. And that was my entire summer um six weeks of just reading and writing reading and writing reading and writing and um i think i think there's a there's accumulation of things that just worked i think yeah you're exactly right um most of the people that grew up in that environment either ended up in prison or dead uh i am an anomaly from that area um uh i think the love of my mum, you know, unconditional love of my mum was was definitely um, a factor that helped. Um, I think I always had an incredibly inquisitive brain, um, and 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 maybe there's you know there is a natural selection genetic component to that. I mean, I recently did my genetics right. And genetically, I am a huge mix. <laughs> I'm a real big mix. And that, and you know, I was the only kid on the estate with a, a foreign name. And, uh, you know, there was, so, so I don't know if there are, there's that, there's that kind of thing. But for, they say that a lot of uh, skills and finding out, finding different ways of doing things come from either inspiration or desperation, right? And I think for me, 
it was seeing the things around me, seeing, you know, kids on drugs, seeing, um, I remember, and this just, this, it was almost like I was born with this moral compass. I remember one time, I must have been about seven years old, walking outside of the, the home, and there was three kids, similar age to me, just peeing in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day. I mean, in the middle of the day, just peeing in the street. And it, and, and, and it, it, it's such an, it's an example of people don't understand. They, they really don't understand what that environment is like. And that was the, that's the UK. That's the UK. People don't understand. There are areas of the UK that are untouched by city officials, untouched by councils, and they're just leave it, leave it, leave it. And it becomes ghettoized. And and the things that happen there, people just do not realize. Um, I think there was another instance. So um, there was a girl who was a similar age to my sister at the time, must have been about you know, nine years old or something like that, who, and she was raped and she only lived a few doors down. And my mum was like, we can't live here. We cannot live here anymore. We have to move. And um, so when I was a teenager, we we moved. Um, we managed to get into a, a nice area, you know, a safe area um, um, where we didn't have to worry about any of the things that we were worrying about when we were on the council estate. And that was really interesting because that area was safe, but completely, uh, there was no sense of community. Uh, where I was, you know, where I was, it, yeah, it was rough and it was kind of dog eat dog, but there was this kind of sense of loyalty or community. Whereas this other place, you know, people had nice cars and, you know, it was totally different, but there was no sense of community. You know, you didn't know your neighbours, really. Um, and it was interesting because for me, you know, being 13 years old, I was kind of like, this is all wrong. There was something within me that went, this is wrong. This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. And I remember... Uh, um, a kid I knew, same age as me, he was at school and you could tell, you know, when you're at school and you could tell that kid's having a hard life, like there are things, there are problems at home. And um, his name was Robbie and, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a nice enough kid, but he was off the rails and school just didn't know what to do with him. And we were friends, we used to play football together, you know, and like when we were like 13 and I remember worrying about him, walking home from school one day on my own when I was worried about him, like, because I'd been to see where he lives, where he lived, and it was kind of similar to where I used to live. And um, and I saw, you know, that, that you'd walk in the house and there was just a billowing of smoke because his, his, his dad was a chain smoker, constant chain smoke. You know, his parents never worked and things like that. And, uh, and I it made me think, gosh, if he doesn't get the right influences, and I remember thinking, I was 13, I remember thinking if he doesn't get the right influences, he's going to go down a, uh, the wrong road, and he did. Um, 
And another, there's another kid I, I grew up with who we used to get into fights all the time at school, always get into fights. He was kind of like my arch nemesis at school. And um, when we left school, um, I, you know, yeah, I, I was I was doing pretty well. You know, I was very much kind of self-made. I was running these little businesses. I was I was doing well for myself. And um, he he decided to you know what options does a kid have in an area like that unless something else is going on? The army, right? Uh, that was kind of the go-to for kids in that area. And he went to the army and when I was at university, um, he, uh, you know, he, he was, he was killed in Afghanistan. So it's, and it was such a sad thing really, because that was all because of his, cause I found out about his background and stuff and, you know, he had a very abusive background and, you know, he didn't have to go down that route. So yeah. Yeah. It makes me think about all that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, so in your own journey, you know, coming from where you did and, and developing an understanding of the world that you're in and the world that you desire to be in um, and the part you're going to play in that world. Um, did you always feel confident that you could make a difference or do you think were there times where you, um, well, were there times where insecurity got in the way? I, I think that's always interesting for people to hear. People who are successful and doing great work in, in the world, it's always useful to unpack whether they always felt like that so that's i'm curious so particularly in a class-based system like the uk you are taught to hold your stature you will this stratification that you've been given from birth this is where you belong your working yeah. class or your underclass or your middle class or your this and uh, you won't move you won't move up you can go down but you can't go up. <laughs> um, so so when I went to university, I everyone around me, you know, I was the poor kid at university. Um, you know, I got into the university of a mixture of grants. I was the first in my family to go to university. Um, I actually got into university, like the first bit you need to financially have, you know, a bit. And the only way I could afford that was a mixture of me working and, and you know, running one of my first businesses. And actually a friend who came from a, a, a wealthy background, he himself actually, you know, um, lent me money to, 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 to start university. So I think, I think there are a few things. I think when I was at university, uh, there were lots of people who had very good educations uh, who um had been given a lot and that status that gap of status particularly with lecturers and things like that you always think they're superhuman like just like your parents mm. when you're a kid you're like my parents know everything parents know everything <laughs> yeah. you know um and we we carry on that throughout life we think that people are older than us or people are, they're going to be endued with some kind of benevolence and uh the all-seeing eye um so benevolence and and some kind of um divine authority and we know and once we get older we realize actually everyone's just human mm. most people don't know what they're doing <laughs> who they are why they are or what their values are um uh, so yeah i had to i had to fight through myself and through the system um 
if you look at all the metrics uh, of where I am today compared to where I've started uh, in life, I'm an anomaly. People say there's a myth that anyone can get anywhere in life. I, I do think it's actually a myth. I think there are ingredients that you need. And if kids don't get those ingredients, they're not going to get there. Um, you know, I, I, I'm on the board of various children's charities and, and social services. So I, so I know firsthand the data. And the data says that if kids don't get this kind of support, this kind of intervention, X, Y, and Z, they will go down the wrong route. So I think for me, um, seeing the injustice and those two different worlds from, you know, uh, the council estate to a, to a nice area and thinking this is unfair and having a natural empathy. I was always naturally empathetic and I had a love of others, I just love other people um, and want to help people. That's just that's just part of me It's you know, I don't know if it's something I was just born with, but I desperately want to help everyone around me. I think everyone should should be given the chance for fulfillment and, and the opportunity to, to achieve something that's meaningful for them. So so I fought at university, I fought through my my own barriers of um, feeling secure when kids had gone to Eton and they'd, uh, you know, you know, daddy owned a yacht and all that kind of thing and you know <laughs> and mine couldn't have been further from that um so so but and yeah there were times where I felt insecure of like is people are people going to take me seriously is my voice valid mm. um and you know what actually worked um was mortality mortality so, mortality that's the thing that gets me past every single barrier, every single barrier. And I actually had this conversation at the weekend. Um, if you feel the fear of doing something because you feel that you're not good enough or that uh, you've not done your research and you don't realise that, well, actually, everyone had a journey to get there. The, that barrier, the easiest way, you're not going to be here for very long. Time moves quickly. Mortality is the best motivator. Anytime I feel my, my self-esteem go down, I think, well, I could choose not to go for that. I could choose not to try and do for that. We're all going to die soon. It's a great leveler. Um, so, so does it matter anyway? It matters to me might not matter to the world but i'm not gonna be around very long anyway so why not and that sorry well no yeah i'm um, so that's i've never heard anyone uh use that so powerfully so it's kind of like well it doesn't really matter if it if it goes well or if it doesn't go well i'm not really going to be here for, for long anyway so um there's nothing to it lose. matters to you yeah it matters to you people people successful Success should be about this. It should be about, um, yeah, you can have nice things and you can be comfortable, and, um, but really it's fulfillment. Success is for fulfillment, right? Am I living my... Do I know what my values are? 
Mm. Am I living them every day? And am I doing something with purpose? Mm. Am I living a purpose? Mm. If you're following your values, you, you will find purpose in what you're doing. And the outcome of purpose, fulfillment. Yeah, sure. If I'm doing something that is, is purposeful every day, I will feel fulfilled. And it's not meant to be easy. Mm. If life didn't make you grow, then what is the point? Don't ask for an easy life. Ask for a fulfilling life. Ask for one with challenges. And, and this is, a, a, again, a thing that people don't realize is that it's the hard work, it's the grit, it's the overcoming things that gives you that, I did that, I achieved that. It, was in, it felt impossible at one point. Now I've done it. That is, you know, it's so important. And um, I think people, you know, generally you look at a lot of business magazines and things, people focus just on the, you know, the monetary metrics, the, the personal wealth. And I, and I always say, well, okay, that's fine. But what are you going to take with you? You know, it, you can accumulate all the wealth in the world, but a week before you pass from this earthly, earthly realm, mm. what are you going to think about? Are you going to think about the, the numbers in your bank or are you going to think about who you are and what you've given and who you became and the things that you overcome? Yeah, it's, it's so true and such a useful message for people to think about and just take a step back from their current way of operating and to think um, about fulfillment, about meaning, about purpose, about time, about what it's all about. I think they're, they're always useful conversations. They always, draw, they always draw us into a bigger mode of living and a more effective mode of living. Um, so, so I'm curious around your purpose and when you think about what gives you the most fulfillment, when you think about you showing up and bringing your gift, can you tell us, tell us a bit about the work that you're doing in the world and... Um, you know, your best understanding of what, it, what your purpose really is? So in one word, impact, uh, in a sentence to create what I deem as positive impact on the world. So if I can give people opportunities that they didn't have or didn't think, feel that felt that they deserved, that's a win. If I can help small communities that are struggling, that's a win. Uh, I'll give you some examples of that in practice. So in 2016, uh, I met with lots of independent makers in Japan. Um, the domestic market was being squeezed because the birth rates are uh, decreasing, declining, which is a, an effect of just a, a, an advanced uh, modern society. All mm. advanced modern societies, birth rates are decreasing. Uh, and it's because people make different decisions as they become, as the education system improves, uh, people start to learn who they are and what they're about. Again, things we talk about, purpose of fulfillment, they realize actually they're not built to just pop out babies every day. Mm -hmm. uh, they're actually built to do something with significance and enjoy the process of, of living. Um, so meeting these independent makers where uh, they're not making the sales and, and Japan is very adverse to change. You know, they move very slowly, but when they make a decision, they move at speed, but um, it's getting to that decision. So I toured with my business partner uh, who's Japanese around lots of different places. We've met with lots of people and we just went, well, why don't we help 
all these independent makers. You know, I run an international branding and marketing firm and our whole thing is led, you know, we're driven by ethics, guided by knowledge. And the idea about that is that we will only work with organizations that are have cl clean supply chains and that are doing good in the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and so they have to have transparent um, uh, supply chains. We have to be able to, to see how they, how they do things. Um, and all these independent makers, um, their family-run businesses, the materials are sourced locally, um, you know, everything you could think about, that's a sustainable, in every sense of the word, business. So we said, look, we're going to help you expand globally. We formed a brand called Atelier Japan. Uh, it's atelierjapan.com. And we now sell products from these independent family-owned makers that some of them have been going for nearly a thousand years. Nearly a thousand years. People don't realize. Japan has a massive amount of companies over 300 years old. There's just tons of them. And, and what the fan make, Komburia, the fan make we work with is just under a thousand years old, 900 and something years they've been going. And, uh, and these are family businesses. I mean, I've got a photo of a, uh, a, a chap at a tea company in uh, Kyoto, and he's uh, stood next to this, you know, portrait, you know, but it's old school portrait of his great grandfather 50 generations back. Um, and he's now inheriting the company. And you just, you think, wow, you know, that, that's incredible. Imagine if the rest of the world could, could you know, be like that. Um, so, the, you know, they, they were having some challenges. Uh, the government helps them a lot. The government helps independent companies a lot because they want to keep their heritage. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, me and my business partner launched this brand in 2016. Since then, um, you know, we keep expanding our product range. We have hundreds of products on there now. Um, and it's all, you know, luxury, ethically made Japanese products. Um, and, you know, most of these products you can't get anywhere in the world. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, it's unless you go to those independent studios in Japan. Um, recently, we formed a, a partnership with the Kyoto Prefectural Government. Uh, because they loved what we were doing. We've also got a partnership with County Hall London, opposite Westminster, and we're going to have a retail space in London as well, uh, hopefully this year, so uh, COVID willing. Um, so, yeah, it's um, – so that's kind of an uh, – that's, uh, I guess, a long-form example of us – Mm. doing what we believe in in action just to give you a couple of examples yeah, amazing. Um, in early 2020 we launched a national campaign for a women's charity called together women uh, where we created online graphic novels that demonstrate that taught young girls um, how seemingly innocuous conversations can lead to uh, malevolent situations um to uh, combat abuse in certain communities in the UK. That was the most successful campaign they've ever had. 
in their words, mm. more young girls reached out for support than ever before, uh, and we know we saved lives. Uh, another campaign uh, we worked alongside the UK government, and this was back in 2017, we diversified mentorship in British schools. Uh, we created a national campaign uh, around mentorship, and the idea was to diversify the people who would go in and work with kids. Um, we've got tons and tons of examples. You know, we've worked with the RSPCA, uh, where we massively, massively increased donations and adoptions of, of animals. Um, it's, you know, the, the cases we do, again, time and time again, is around supporting people. We toured Australia, four and a half thousand kilometers across the outback with the Victus athletes, uh, meeting ex-servicemen and women uh, and people who've been in, you know, the fire service, the police service, who you know suffer from PTS? Uh, we worked with those people, getting them the psychological support that they need. You know, we're a marketing firm, but we're a little bit different. Um, <laughs> Do you ever sleep? That is, uh... <laughs> you know, I I sleep better than I've ever slept in my life, and I think I don't sleep as much. I don't need as much sleep these days. Um, I think more than anything, it's just get my diet right a super specific diet which you kind of need when you're like really really busy i think mm, wow um i don't know whether there have been key books along the way for you that you recommend or you gift or you go back to um i, I love books and i i refer to them frequently so i'm always fascinated by books that have stood out for you and um, you could recommend are there, are there certain books that you think are useful for people to draw them out of themselves in, into finding their purpose to help them overcome their insecurity both the cultural insecurity and their personal insecurity what, what, what books do you love uh, there's two that I think are kind of required reading to be human um, or maybe th two books and a poem um, so Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl uh, you know, Frankel was a psychoanalyst um, who uh, survived the Nazi concentration camps, um, and he spent his time in in uh, Auschwitz um, uh, analyzing people who's surviving, who's not surviving, why, what are they doing psychologically that's different. Um, that is a beautiful book, and it just that book teaches you to put things in pers perspective and and really focus on purpose because the thing that you know to kind of give the cliff notes what he found was that the people who survived the concentration camps found purpose in the horror mm. um the second book is um as a man thinketh uh, by James Allen. Okay. As a man thinketh, oh, beautiful little book. It was written, I think, about 200 years ago. And it's really random. It was written by, I think, a, a chap in Leicester. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's kind of a long form poem, but it's, there's some magic in those words. Uh, it's where the phrases of, you know, man make of a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven, you know, things like that came from that book that, that you find that, you know, the big kind of 
coaches that are out there like Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, all those kind of guys. Those guys, a lot of the things they say are in that book. Mm. You know, they don't they don't tell you, but <laughs> uh, you know, it's it all comes from that. It's something magic about that book. Wow. Okay. Um, and the third piece, which is which is kind of a long form poem, is the Marriage of Heaven and Hell by William Blake. The Marriage of Heaven and Hell by William Blake is just beautiful. It's a precursor to Freudian psychoanalytic theory. Mm. You know, the idea of the superego and the ego and that fight within us, because regardless of these things about values, fulfillment, purpose, da, 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 we are still animals. <laughs> and you will always going to be, you have to accept there is, um, as Jung calls it, you know, the, the shadow. There is a darkness that follows all humans, uh, which is, our, you know, I perceive it to be the animal, animalistic self. You know, it's uh, nihilistic and it's, and it's quite dark. And you have to confront that and be comfortable with it and realize that, okay, we all have immense potential for good and bad. Mm. Once we become comfortable with that, we can then go out in the world and go, okay, I'm going to make the decisions that impact people in the best way possible because I choose to do that. Mm. Um, I, you know, I choose to make the world a better place, uh, but accepting that you are, you will always come with faults um, because you, you know, you're, you're a sack of mush. <laughs> <laughs> You know, people have this concept of the self, like I am this unitary, solid thing. You're really not. You're an absolute mess inside. <laughs> um, so, and and it's that thing. It's again, it's putting things into perspective, isn't it? So yes, the the marriage of heaven and hell is a beautiful book because it it's about accepting we are a mixture of. of um, all the great virtues of charity and prudence, blah, 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 blah. But we're also all the bad stuff as well. Mm. Um, and as long as our actions follow our values that hopefully uh, are all about the good stuff. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's tons and tons and tons of people in business who are kind of complete opposite, um, who are completely nihilistic. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's it's your choice. Mm. It's all choice. Yeah, well, that's that is beautiful. Um, all right. So, so is there anything that we've missed in your mind in terms of people who are who are limited by their own insecurity, who are sitting on uh, the capacity to make an impact in the world and bring a bring a contribution, but have never allowed themselves to step up and out because of the fear that they might fail or they might be found out as inadequate or they're not good enough. Um, there any parting words that you would say to those people from your own experience to, to draw them out of themselves into a bigger, bigger and more impactful experience of life? Yeah, it actually comes from Einstein. Um, I love his phrase, um, the, the, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and, accept, and, and expecting a different outcome. Mm. <laughs> And, you know, if you question yourself and think, I can't do that, so I won't do it. I can't do it, so I won't do it. I can't do it, so I won't do it. Okay. 
are you going to get the same outcome? Because I think you're not going to move. Yeah. I think you're going to stay exactly where you are. Mm. If you try something different, if you go, do you know what? What if I believe in myself today? What if I just, what if I try? What if I do that? And then you go, well, it might not work. Okay, where will you end up? Exactly where you are right now. Mm. So you can you can stay where you are and not make an effort. You can make an effort and it not work and stay where you are, which you seem to be comfortable at anyway. <laughs> or you could make an effort and it works, God forbid, and actually your life moves forward. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And if you need a little bit of a prod, um, then I, I bring it back to mortality. Well, what have you tried and it and uh, and it worked and you died some you died in a week. Um, at least you did it right. Mm. Um, it's so powerful. It's mm. so powerful telling people they're gonna die. <laughs> and and I think you know I've had lots of health problems um, ever since I was a kid. Use poor diet and all kinds of stuff. And I think when you have like operations when you're a kid and all that kind of stuff, you you kind of it, it makes you see things a little bit differently. You appreciate things more. Um, every moment is a gift, so don't waste it. That's mm. uh, it's a beautiful place to finish. Um, you've been very generous with your time and your wisdom, and and for those listening, you know, uh, I'd, I'd love for you to go check out. Johnny's work and he's been incredibly modest about his real impact in the world doing extraordinary stuff. So where's, where's the best place for people to go find out more about you or where, where do you hang out online? Um, so if people want to connect with me personally, then uh, LinkedIn is the only social media personally that I use now. Um, so just type my name, Johnny Pavlik. I think there's only one. Uh, yeah, I think there is only one on LinkedIn, so that's quite cool. Um, and uh, if they want to check out our business, uh, all the things that we do, the people we support, go to www.mantrahq.com. Okay. Uh, Johnny, thanks so much for your time. It's been a real treat to have this conversation, and uh, we'll leave it there. Pleasure and a joy. You've been listening to the Insecurity Project podcast. All you need to solve any problem is the proven framework and someone skillful enough to hold you in the space until it works. If this is your year to be insecurity free, jump on the insecurityproject.com and begin your journey to become unhindered by getting a free copy of the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity.